Good morning, everybody. You got me up? There we go. Hi, Mackenzie. Good to see you. Welcome if you're visiting with us today. We want you to be at home. I confess I have no idea what all is going to take place today, but we're going to have a good time in the Lord. Amen? Amen. I think you can see from the selection of music today that we're talking about the battle that we fight as Christians. Um, Got to be ready. Got to be ready. I saw Sam out in the foyer, and uh, he was suited up in his body armor. I see him right through there. And we, we talked about that a little while. You know that those vests only last for five years? The body armor that he has, it deteriorates. But I want you to know that the armor God gives us lasts forever. Praise the Lord. I'm a little curious this morning as to how many of you like confrontation and conflict. Anybody want to raise their hand to that? I don't. <laughs> Some people are just born with it. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I'm not crazy about it. I never have been. I, I, I don't make a habit of going and looking for it, but I've been known not to run. Uh, by nature, I'm not a fighter. And I'm pretty sure that most, if not all of you, are like me. You don't like it either. I think I kind of verified that reality with my Tuesday morning devotion this week. And here's why I think that to be true. Out of the three, three and a half years that I've been sending out devotions, Tuesday morning was the first time that no one, absolutely no one, responded back to me. Now, I don't send those devotions out for people to be able to respond or with the intent for you to respond, but they're sent out in a way that you can respond, and sometimes you do. Sometimes when God speaks to you through the devotion, you'll respond uh, with some words, and you'll usually be uh, praising God or encouraging me. And so, um, again, Tuesday morning was one of those unusual times. Absolutely no one responded to the devotion in any way. First time that's happened uh, since I began doing that. So... Um, Several assumptions can be made from the lack of response. As I was thinking about it, you know, uh, it could have been that on Tuesday absolutely nobody got the devotion, which being Tuesday, it's a very real possibility because a lot of times on Tuesday when Joyce is less than 20 feet from me, when I send it to her, she doesn't get it. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Tuesday, but there's something about Tuesday. But that, that could have been the cause. The other reason is maybe, maybe that devotion struck a nerve with you. And, you know, it was, it was on a subject that maybe you don't want to talk about or converse about or even consider. I kind of think the latter is a real reason that not a single person made a comment. So, so why do I think that to be true? Well, I think it's true because of the subject matter. It was a devotion about conflict and about war. And if you remember, nobody likes to deal with conflict or war, right? So, you know, it could have been about that. No one likes to read about or think about war, whether it's physically or even spiritual. Most of us tend to avoid that subject completely. So that's a very real possibility that that's why you did not respond. However, 
here's the real honesty uh, in this matter. You can't live life and avoid conflict. It's impossible. Every day when you wake up, you're at war. If I read scripture right, every day when you wake up, you're at war. I am, you're, you are, we all are. Um, the Bible tells us that you're at war with your old sin nature. That's still a part of who you are. Look with me at what Paul wrote in Galatians 5.16. He said, so I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. And then you won't be doing what your sin nature craves. The old sin nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And your choices are never free from this conflict. In other words, Paul said every time you go to make a choice, there's going to be a battle. A battle. So how do you win the war over your sin nature? Paul says you win by living according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. The New American Standard Bible, it translates it this way. It says, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The New Century Version says live by following the Spirit. Live your life following the Holy Spirit. And then you will not do what your sinful selves want. Now the whole idea here is how we choose to conduct our lives. Every day, every day we will choose either to live for God or live for self. Every day you're going to either carry out the desires of the flesh, and they are many, or you'll carry out the desires of God. To walk in the Spirit is to do several things. First and foremost, you have to discover God's viewpoint on that particular matter that you're considering. And then you have to make a decision to act on His divine perspective. And you also need to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower you in your obedience. Now let me add just a little bit of a footnote here. I want you to realize that your walking in the Spirit will not make your desires that come from your sin nature just go away. They don't just disappear into midair. You will live in your flesh all of your earthly life and your flesh will always want you to do what it wants you to do. And that is why you must learn to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's critically important that we learn how to follow what the Lord wants us to do through the leadership of His Spirit and then let Him give you the power to override or suppress the desires of the earthly flesh. Tony Evans says to flip that order is to either lose the battle or to settle for flesh management rather than true spiritual transformation. You've got to learn how to follow the Spirit first and then let him help you override that old desire that you have. We all need to learn how to win the battle because every day when we get up, we're going to be fighting the battle with our sin nature. We also are at war with Satan. Peter knew that well. And that's why he writes what he does in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says to us, be careful. Watch out for the attacks of the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith 
and remember that your Christian brothers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So how do we win this war against the devil? Peter's very clear. He says, refuse to give in to it. Refuse by standing firm in your faith. Now, honestly, most people believe the devil to be a fictional character of the mind and not real. But I want you to understand that, that Satan is just as real as God is. In fact, he's not God. He never will be. And because he's not, no one hates God as much as Satan does. And he's going to do everything in his limited power to keep you from advancing the kingdom of God on earth. And so don't think for a minute that you can fly under his radar. He's pretty good at detecting where you are. And he has plenty of demonic thugs that are watching you. And they all, they all want to destroy you. Peter's clear in what he writes here. He says, you're at war with Satan. And the only way to conquer him is through your faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. That's the way to victory. Being obedient and, and having faith in Jesus. Folks, Satan loves to see you suffer in defeat. He, like, he drools over that. He loves to see you fall. And he is stronger than our flesh is. And, and because we are human and too often we, we try to do battle with Satan in the flesh, because of that, we're going to lose some of those battles that we fight. He loves to leave us wounded and bleeding. He loves to see us suffer. But through Jesus Christ, the God of all grace, he will restore and establish and strengthen and support you. Look at what Peter actually writes here. And I, I believe he wrote this because of his personal experience that he had with the devil. He writes, in his kindness, God called you to his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. After you have suffered a little while, after you've struggled in battle with Satan, when you lose those battles, it says he will restore and support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. He writes, all power is his forever and ever. Amen. Wouldn't it be good if we didn't fall to the, the, the enemy's ploys and tricks? Wouldn't it be good if we could live our life without doing that? I honestly believe we can. We won't win all of them, but we're going to win the majority of them. We win because, you know, if you're going to win, you can't ignore his existence, right? Don't, don't go into those battles blind. And, and you have to know how to deal with him God's way. Um, I, I know and talk to a lot of people, and I've been doing that over the last couple of weeks. People who have told me that when the news comes on, they turn it off because they don't want to know what's going on in the Middle East. But friends, like it or not, the war is real. It's real, and it's not just isolated to that one place. The Jews and the Islamic terrorists are, are, are going to be at war for quite some time. And you've seen this week in the news that we're already involved in that war to some degree. And God only knows how much deeper we're going to be involved before it all ends. I think that's our fear. Folks, this is on God's timetable. I don't like war. But we have to consider that it's being fought. 
and it could get a lot bigger before it's over. I wrote Tuesday morning in my devotional, just read the news. Everybody seems to be preparing for war. Pretty depressing. And it is. Who wants to go to war? I wrote China and the U.S. are in a race to see who can build the first military killer robot. Fighter jets equipped with AI technology are also being developed as I write. Who knows what else is on the drawing board? Israel and Hamas are at war. But they're not the only conflict to be concerned about. It has rightly been said that from the womb to the tomb, life is hard. Our souls, our minds, our families, and our careers are all grounds for conflict. Not until God casts the devil into the lake of fire will the world be at peace. So what do we do? As an individual, what can I do? I then wrote, what I'm about to suggest is not a final option when all else fails. In fact, this should be your first option. Friends, AI can't help you, but AG can. Almighty God can help us, and he will. Paul wrote a timeless message for us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He said, be strong in the Lord's mighty power. Put on all the armor, the armor of God, so that you will be able to stand and fight against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. I want to remind you, my friends, that Almighty God has already won, won the war. And you can as well, if you want to. One of the verses that we have over behind our table on this big uh, wooden plaque is this, Psalm 16, 8, where David wrote, I know the Lord is always with me. Boy, isn't that comforting? I know the Lord is always with me, and I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Praise God. We never have to enter into any kind of battle with the devil or with our sin nature that God isn't with us. Now, I, I, I know some of you have read through the Baptist faith and message, but I want to remind you of what it says about peace and war. Included in the Baptist faith and message are these words. It is the duty of Christians to seek peace with all men on the principles of righteousness. In accordance with the Spirit and the teaching of Christ, they should do all that is in their power to put an end to war. The true remedy for the war spirit is the gospel of our Lord. The supreme need of the world is the acceptance of His teaching in all the affairs of man and nations and the practical application of his law of love Christian people throughout the world should pray pray for the reign of the Prince of Peace come Lord Jesus come the Apostle Paul has a whole lot to say in the final chapter of his book of Ephesians uh, about how to deal with the devil and if you've read the story of Paul throughout his writings and throughout the New Testament you know that he had plenty of encounters with the enemy Paul spends the first part of chapter 6 teaching about how to be in a right relationship with each other. And then in the last uh, part of cha that chapter, he reminds us that people are not our ultimate problem or our greatest enemy. 
you're about to see that Paul uh, is going to stress that, that humanity's true struggle is not against flesh and blood, against, but it's against evil spirits and evil forces that are in the heavens. We, we battle with the spiritual world. So I want you to play, pay close attention to what Paul tells us about spiritual warfare. If you've studied Scripture to any length, then you know that ultimately Satan's power uh, over believers like you and me has already been broken and the great war has been won through the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also know that Scripture teaches that the power of sin and death have already been conquered forever. However, we also know that our entire time of living on earth is going to be continuously plagued with battles of temptation. Anybody here hadn't been tempted to do some kind of sin this week? See what I'm talking about? We, we face that every day. There's always something knocking at our door. So I want you to notice Paul's strategy for battle that gives us victory. He begins in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 6, and he tells us that to win that at spiritual warfare, you have to learn to be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. He said a final word. Be strong in the Lord's mighty power. The, the battles that we face as Christians every day are rooted in the strategies and the tricks of the devil. He's really good, or should I say evil, at what he does. He knows how to deceive, and he's good at that. He's a master of deception. Again, Tony Evans wrote these words about him. He says he is quite happy for you to picture him as a cartoon character wearing a red jumpsuit with horns and carrying a pitchfork so that you won't take him seriously. Sometimes we have that in our mind when we think of Satan. But he says, meanwhile, like an opposing football team, his demonic realm watches your game film. They know about you. He writes, they know your history. They know your weak points. They know your sin patterns. They know a lot about you. And their goal is to keep you from experiencing the will of God in your life. He says that you are not their first assignment. It dawned on me this morning. You know, people live 60, 70, 80 years, but these demons have been living for how long? Thousands of years. They're good at what they do. You're not their first assignment. They're really good at what they do. And so... They know what works when it comes to coming against us. Friends, because that's true, we have to fight the spiritual with the spiritual. Human strength is not going to work against the devil. And that's why sometimes we get in trouble. We want to fight the spiritual with the flesh, but it never works. When I was a much younger man, I, I, I never seemed to run out of energy. But now I don't have a whole lot. The tank runs dry pretty quick, and I found that I'm not as strong as I used to be. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I, I, you know, I, I get myself in trouble because my brain tells me I can, but then my body tells me I can't. And then when I do, I pay for it for several days. Yeah. You may not be like me. I see some young people out there. You may not be like me. You may be a strong individual, and you may be able to handle a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, and 
You may be able to burn the candle at both ends, so to speak. And if you can, praise God. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> but you know, if we're all honest, if we're all honest, we all grow weary and worn from time to time. Sometimes we just need to lay our head on a pillow and take some rest. I, I remember Dr. Lee telling me, he said, the most spiritual thing you can ever do is take a nap. There's some merit to that. A little rest, and most of us are good to go again for a few hours at least. <laughs> but you know the most important strength that we all need is what the Lord can give us. Why is that true? It's true because Christian strength is not found in the muscles of the body nor the cells of the brain. It's found in the power of the Lord. It's not what you can do in your own strength. It's not what you can do in your own mind. It's what the Holy Spirit is able to give us to do through his power. We need the power of God in us. We also need his divine protection. That's why Paul tells us to suit up with God's armor. Look at what he says in verse 11. He said, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. Put on the armor of God. You know, for an astronaut to survive in outer space, he's got to put on a spacesuit, right? You won't last very long out there if you don't have a spacesuit. Iron Man has his jet suit. I don't know about y'all, but have you ever dreamed that you could fly? I mean, without anything. Have you ever dreamed those dreams? It's so wonderful when you can just lift off and take off and fly and go over the trees and around and through and around the house. And then you wake up. <laughs> An ice hockey goalie, he puts on pads and a helmet. It's got a shield on it. It's even got a thing under the neck. Can you imagine standing there and letting people shoot hockey pucks at you at over 100 miles an hour? That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not going to do that. The Knights of the Round Table, they had their armor as well, and they wore it. We Christians need to put on the whole armor of God. You know, when we start talking these things, about these things, about armor, the question could be asked, is this an armor that we can actually see and physically put on? And the answer to that is no, it's not. We can't put on a shield or, or armor like somebody in battle. You know, we don't do that. That's not what we're talking about here. But friends, there is a divine protection that comes to us through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is this divine protection that has already been won for us through what Christ did at the cross. We all need to remember that the devil lost that day. Amen. He did. He's, he's still busy, but the fatal blow has already been uh, passed. He's, he's just flopping like a chicken that's had his neck run off, rung off. Yeah. Think about this. The only power that the devil has over you is the power that you give him. And that only ha happens when you step into one of his traps. 
We're to stand suited in the victory that Jesus Christ has already won. Standing covered in the armor of God is kind of like standing under an umbrella when it's raining. Think about that. The umbrella doesn't stop the rain, does it? But it certainly keeps you from getting wet. That's what the armor of God does for us. It's not going to stop all the mess that's going on out there. But it can protect us. It can protect us. Someone has rightly said you have to dress for success in this thing called the Christian life. Dress for success. We have to stand in the Lord's power. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about the fact that you also have to make sure that you identify the real enemy. God didn't give us a bed of roses when we became Christians. Some people think that, but it's not true. In fact, sometimes we have to deal with a whole lot more thorns than we do roses. You can just look around you in any direction and you can find people who are having to deal with serious hardship. They're everywhere. Nobody's immune to the troubles of life. We all know people who've lost their jobs, their homes, their health, their wealth, and their loved ones. Joyce and I have been blessed to have some good neighbors around us where we live. We've kind of lived behind uh, our neighbor for 23 years and and three weeks ago, we had this huge limb about this big up in an oak tree that just broke. It's about 15 foot off the ground, and it leaned over and fell into some other trees and didn't crash to the ground. So it was kind of a loaded trap just waiting to fall. And so I began looking for somebody to come cut it down because I couldn't do it. And I uh, found out that our neighbor in the front has a son-in-law that cuts trees. And he, uh, I talked to him on the phone. He was supposed to come out this past Thursday, and and cut our tree down with his crew and and he actually called me on Wednesday morning to let me know he was coming sounded great good ears voice never met him still hadn't met him but uh, he said I'm coming we're gonna be out there well I got a call later that evening his wife told me that he had had a massive heart attack he's in Norfolk General no history no signs of having a heart attack and now he's had one name is Curtis Bryant play pray for Curtis there's another young man in Norfolk General right now by the name of Hunter Stevens some of you have asked to pray for him and he's a 29 year old man who already needs a new heart can you imagine that 29 years old and needing a new heart they were supposed to do surgery on him Wednesday morning uh, to give him a mechanical heart pump because his heart was only pumping at about one and a half percent of what it should be pumping at. They're hoping to be able to give him a mechanical heart that will keep him alive until he can get a new heart, a real heart. Now, I was talking to some people about that the other day, and they said, you know, he can only get a new heart if somebody dies. And that is a whole new problem for yet another family. There are problems everywhere you look. There are a lot of senior adults today that struggle constantly being concerned about how to cover the cost of medicine and, and doctor visits and how do we buy food and how do we pay for heating oil and, and uh, how do we keep our homes cool in the summer. Joyce and I were in a restaurant earlier in the week and 
We talked to a mother of four who told us we've not had heat nor air now for a year in our apartment. Can you imagine having four kids in that? I can't. There, there are so many dangers that threaten us every day in this world. And a lot of those dangers, when they come at us, are, we, we can see them. But the danger that I'm talking about can't be seen. The enemy is not seeable. In fact, Paul says we're not at war with flesh and blood, but our greatest war is with the enemy of our soul. He says it's absolutely critical that we never confuse who the real enemy is. Look at what he writes. For we're not fighting against people. Can I say that again? For we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. He writes in verse 13, Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil, so that after the battle you will still be standing firm. If you're a Christian, then by the very nature of who you belong to, you're at war. You're in a real war, a spiritual battle. The Bible is quite clear that Satan hates God and that he hates everything that belongs to God, everything. There is no neutrality that can exist in this war that I'm talking about. You have no choice but to fight. It's amazing, I've been listening how reservists for the Israeli army they're scattered all over the world and they're called in and they all rush to to battle and they prepare for battle they want to fight we might not want to fight but we don't have any choice to fight and whatever you do never underestimate the devil He's not as powerful as God is, but he knows your weakness better than you do, far better than you do. And he is as real as the God who saved your soul. He's just not as strong as God. But you know what I've learned? He's stronger than we are. He's stronger than we are. That's why we have to stand strong in the power of the Lord. I'm not a prophet, so... Don't consider me one. But I do sense in my spirit, and I believe, that we're getting closer to the Lord's return. I believe that because of what I see and how, how things are heating up all around the world. I see the world turning on the people of God. And, and I'm not just talking about the Jews. I'm talking about the church. God's people are being attacked and killed. And I honestly believe it's going to get a whole lot worse before the rapture. We, you know, we, 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 I'm a pre-tribber. I believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation begins. But listen, that doesn't take us out of the fight. It's going to get heated up before we're taken out of this world. Can we leave at any time? Yeah, the Lord can come back and get us at any time. But it may get a whole lot worse before he does. Look what James wrote. 
James believed it was going to happen in his day. He said, humble yourself before God. We have a hard time doing that. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw close to God. If ever there's been a time to, grow, to, to draw close to the Lord, it's now. Draw close to the Lord and God will draw close to you. There, there's a parallel there. It's conditional. If you don't draw close to God, you're out there by yourself. Draw close to the Lord and God will draw close to you. Notice what he said. Now, now who is James writing to here? Is he writing to the world, to lost people? No. He's writing to the church. He was a pastor of the Jerusalem church. And look at what he writes. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Let there be tears for the wrong things that you have done. And let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Notice verse 10, very conditional statement here. He starts off with the word when. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on Him, that is when He will lift you up and give you honor. When. Friends, we have to stand strong. We have to know who the enemy is. And notice what he writes in verse 14 and 15. He tells us that the key element of winning in spiritual warfare is standing in the strength of the Lord. We can certainly fight more effectively when we are confident that our faith in Jesus Christ makes us safe in the Lord's care. We grow in our confidence when we walk with the Lord. It, it, it's kind of like a weapon. The more you use it, the more you prove it that it'll work. Well, the more you, you walk with God, the more you know and have confidence that he's going to take care of you. In verse 14, Paul writes, Stand your ground. Put on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. I've seen many pictures, as you have, of the Israeli troops. They're not running around in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. They're equipped. They've got their body covered with armor from head to toe. They've got their boots on. They've got their helmet on. They got their vest on, they've got their weapons, they've got their belt holding all of their necessities for war. They're ready to fight. Paul mentions six pieces of armor, and he has divided them into two categories of three each. The first three are with you at all times. If you're a believer, and the last three can be used by a believer anytime that you need them. Notice the armor that Paul tells us to put on. He talks about the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I, I wish more people wore a belt nowadays. You can hold your pants up. Hey, I was in court one day, and the judge said, if you don't get that, in fact, you leave my courtroom, and you find a rope or whatever you need to do, get your pants up before you come back in here. And it wasn't but about three minutes, and that young man was back in there, and his pants were up where they needed to be. 
We need a belt. In fact, we Christians need the belt of truth, which is the truth of Scripture that protects us from the lies of Satan. The belt of truth. You know, when a Roman soldier prepared for war, he would, he would tuck in his clothing into his belt and fasten it securely so he would have mobility in battle, so he would be agile, be able to do whatever he had to do. He would also attach his sheath for his sword to his belt, which housed his most important weapon. That was his sword. Friends, we need truth. We need God's truth. Truth is the objective standard by which all reality is to be measured. God's word is truth. It doesn't just contain some truth. God's word is truth. To where truth is about is to live out his word before the Lord in this world that we live in. And since the devil is a liar, that's the place we start. We start with truth to get us ready for battle. Satan cannot function in an environment of truth and integrity. He doesn't like that. Truth is where the victory begins. Truth is what sets us free. So we're to put on the belt of truth. Also, the breastplate of righteousness. That is the righteousness that Christ has credited to our account. I, I like to think of it this way. When God looks at us before we're saved, he looks at sinners. He sees the sin that is on our soul, and he doesn't accept us. But when we take on Christ and what he did on the cross, we take on his righteousness, and we wrap ourselves up like a coat of righteousness. Therefore, when God looks at us after we're saved, he sees us covered in the righteousness of Christ, and he says, come on in. You're accepted, not because of our goodness, but because of what the Lord has done. The beautiful thing is because of what Jesus has done, we are counted as faultless before God. Wow. To be faultless means to, to be accepted as if you've never done anything wrong to the Lord. We're also to put on shoes of peace. That is uh, the gospel truth. It is our sure footing that allows us to walk in confidence in the Lord. Jesus is our peace. We need to put him on like the best pair of shoes that can be worn. We're to also take up the shield of faith. In other words, we're to live our lives believing and acting like God's telling us the truth. Well, is God telling us the truth? Absolutely. Well, then act like it. Act like it. Live like it. Someone said, when, whenever the devil fires at us with his lies, acting in faith is like setting off God's divine fire extinguisher. We put out the lies. It's that kind of faith that protects us from doubt and fear. We're also to put on the helmet of salvation. Listen, a clear understanding of the gospel will protect your mind and your thinking. I, I love what Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, Jews first and also Gentiles. This good news, the story of Jesus, it tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, not just faith in anything, but faith in Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, as the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. 
The person who understands the gift of salvation is protected from the temptation that, that Satan will throw at you, wanting you to doubt your salvation, wanting you to doubt the eternal security that God has given you. Our spiritual standing in Jesus Christ protects our thinking. And we need to have minds of Christ, not of the world. He also tells us that we're to take up the sword of the Spirit. The way you wear this mighty weapon of God is to have a daily diet of God's Word. I want you to notice, and I never noticed it till studying this week about the six pieces of armor, but, but this particular one is the only offensive weapon that God gives us. Jesus used the word of God when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Every time he was tempted, what did he do? He spoke the word of God and the devil had to flee. It's interesting. Satan is allergic to the word of God. I told somebody the other day, in, in, in all of my life, I've only encountered a couple of people that I thought were demonically possessed. I remember working with a man that I thought was, and, and so uh, me and another Christian worked in the same environment that this man did, and a lot of times we would have a Bible study during our lunchtime, and uh, I noticed one day when I, I, I accidentally left my Bible opened up on this man's desk, and when he came in, he wouldn't touch it. He took a newspaper and opened that newspaper up and laid it over top of it. And he worked around it all day. He would not touch the Word of God. Satan is allergic to the truth. He wants nothing to do with it. So listen to me. When you're being tempted, I strongly encourage you to open up the Word of God and, and get involved in Bible study. And, and let me just promote this. You know, if you're living off what I preach to you on Sunday morning, you're going to starve to death. You need to be involved in a Bible study. We have one in just a little bit, and I encourage you to stay. But seriously, if you want to grow in your faith in the Lord, get in a Bible study. That's where you grow as a disciple. I remember one of the first verses that I ever memorized. And I memorized it in a, in a class that was teaching me to be a disciple of the Lord. Psalms 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Why? We put his word in our heart, and when temptation comes up, we can go back and feed on that, and it gives us the strength we need to be able to battle against Satan. Thomas Guthrie writes, The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, and a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wound. My friends, God's Word is the essential weapon for every believer. I, I thank God that you have um, the, the Bible on your phones because your phones go with you all the time. What's going to happen when that phone fails you one day? You need a hard copy of the Word of God. You need one so that you can write notes in it. You need a prayer journal. You need to be noting your study of the Word of God on a regular basis. 
It is essential for spiritual maturity and for victory in battle. Notice the last thing that, that Paul mentions here. He says, in every battle, learn to use God's weapons. Verse 16. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says in verse 18, don't miss this. Pray at all times. Does that mean you walk around with your eyes closed praying? You know, you can pray with your eyes open. You can be a spirit of prayer all day long. And every time you encounter something that needs prayer, you can pray. Even while you drive. Just don't lose your attention, okay? Pay attention to what you're doing. But you can pray. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit and stay alert. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. The key to unlocking the strength of these weapons is prayer. It's prayer. I thank God for, for the ones that were able to come out Wednesday night. We had... We had about 40 people come out to pray Wednesday night. Thank you for doing that. We're going to have a, our, our normal every other Wednesday night, prayer theme night this coming Wednesday night. Please come. Be a part of that. I, I, I want you to understand that prayer is the means by which we put on the weapons of God. And we need to be people of prayer. We need to pray for victory, right? Hello? Amen? We need victory in our life. We need to pray for that. We need to be involved in prayer. We need to pray for God's will to be done. Not just in Israel, but right here in us. You need God's will being done in your life, and that's my prayer for you this morning.